Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Bridges plays the passing lane. Steps in with the steal and gets home with the left hand. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike, as always, here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, coming fresh off yet another Phoenix Suns win today Yeah, the Charlotte Hornets. 31-14 yeah. and 14 now, you know, Mike, we, we are both online entirely too much, I think we can admit, um, <laughs> no matter what platform it is. If you're online right now and you're a Suns fan, there's a lot of nitpicking going on, There's and, and there's a lot of anxiety, you can tell. Um, and I think there's some good reasons for that, and we're going to talk about them in this episode. But uh, I was I was totally satisfied with the win uh, today in overtime. It was uh, uh, the Suns' first overtime win of the season. They finally got that monkey off their back. And, and yeah, how would you feel about it? I felt fine as well. I think good teams find ways to win in games like this Charlotte game specifically because uh, not good shooting by Jay Crowder or anyone really Cameron Johnson is the other guy too I think specifically if you can win a game where those two guys combined for two points and the Suns also I think they shot 20% from three or something like that and teams that I saw this Vince Murata actually tweeted this stat uh, something like 12% of teams that shot that poorly from three have won this season so it's it's pretty hard to win when you shoot that poorly especially against a team that caught you know caught fire late with the three-point shot they found a way to win, and I thought defensively it worked. In in this specific game, it went to overtime 90-90, to 90, and that's what it took with how badly the Suns were shooting. That's the kind of defense it took, and, and you could see it. I, I don't I don't know the stats on this for sure, but I assume this was the most steals the mm-hmm. Suns had had this season as far it as was. turning the ball over, and yep. you can tell. You can tell. Yeah, season-high 15 steals, season-high 21 offensive rebounds. It, I'm, it, granted, they also gave up a lot of offensive rebounds to Charlotte. Um, that's sort of a problem we've seen with the Suns all season long is, is DeAndre Ayton's the only one there to collect the defensive rebound, and if he's preoccupied mm-hmm. with one body, someone else swoops in and, and grabs it. That's just kind of what happens when you start Jay Crowder at power forward. Um, but on the offensive side of the ball, and defense too with the steals, they made every hustle play, uh, really, and, and they recovered the vast majority of loose balls. They got probably more deflections than they've had all season long. Um, just a, a gritty win for the Suns, uh, especially with the steals is interesting in a way that I don't remember if we recently talked about this, but uh, the Suns are bottom five in the league in both steals and blocks. And I, I feel like it's pretty unusual for a team. You know, oftentimes we go with the logic that more steals, good, more blocks, mm-hmm. good. Um, mm-hmm. but, but actually, that's not always the case. And as we've seen with the Suns this year, they tend to play this more conservative style where they kind of lay back off of guys and and they have smart players who know how to play the passing lanes when they need to, but they don't overplay. Um, this was a game where Charlotte must have been in a serious funk or something because, again, I didn't feel like the Suns were 
overplaying the passing lanes. They were just taking some some crappy passes that were coming to them. And you had guys like Jay Crowder who were uh, helping at the nail and guys like Torrey Craig. Mikhail Bridges, obviously, with six steals today, a career high. Um, yeah, they, 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 just did a, they just did a great job. Anytime you can win, shooting 35% from the field and 20% from deep. <laughs> You're not yeah. supposed you're not supposed to win a game like that, and they no. still did. So you know, I, I I hear all of the concerns about the the poor fourth quarter, specifically late fourth quarter and overtime offensive execution. I get it. I know the concerns about our two lead guards, uh, about why aren't we feeding DeAndre in the ball more? We could talk about all that stuff, and we will. But they won the game. You yeah. know, they, they like they won the game, and. Yeah, I mean the Suns are seven and three in their past ten games, and and sometimes right now it does feel. Uh, and I sympathize with this, but it does feel right now the way we're talking about them and the way they've played recently. It feels like they're like three and seven. You know, it feels like the sky is falling when actually they're <laughs> seven and three. This is barely a dip. I don't. It's, it's funny. I agree with you that 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 com- the conversation online is like that. Oftentimes, I don't feel like that at all. I feel like they're doing really well. I do. I think we are capable of identifying concerns as far as the playoffs and I I often think that this is what it's like to be to root for a good team where yes. wins are sort of expected now at this mm-hmm. point it's no longer celebrated when you get a win now wins are expected so you're looking beyond the wins you're looking past that and seeing down the future where you can see where they can improve for teams that are better than Charlotte without LaMelo Ball or Malik Monk. Right. Uh, and and it, you know, you have to win the ugly games too and they and they won the ugly game and that's what it takes. And and good teams that's what happens too. They don't yeah. win every game in a blowout. You also find ways to win on nights where two of your highest usage wings are just not hitting shots at all. Uh, right. so you know, that's important as well. So you look beyond that. I think Chris Paul has a great quote that's sort of relevant to Suns fans now where he says I hate losing more than I love winning. <laughs> And I feel like that Suns fans at this point, they're no longer enjoying the winning as much as they hate the losing. And even, like you said, even in this specific week, by the way, fascinating games. And I think there's a reason why the clutch play is so talked about in this specific week before this Charlotte game. Miami was an easy, sort of an easy win. The the Suns kind of controlled that throughout. Orlando went down to the wire. Toronto went down to the wire. Charlotte went down to the wire and even went to overtime. So that's three games in a row outside of that Miami game where the Suns playing in the clutch actually mattered a lot. So it makes sense that beyond the wins, Orlando, sort of a fluke game in my mind. They traded half their team after that game ended. <laughs> uh, you know, those are guys just sort of giving it their all in their one last game for Orlando in, in a season where it was pretty obvious that a few of them were leaving and their three best players now are gone, arguably, their three best players. So kind of a fluke game, but beyond that, where they lost that one, then you have the uh, Toronto game and you have the Charlotte game. So I think it's easy to understand why Suns fans sort of shift their focus and want to talk about the clutch play. Before we get to that, and I want to get to that with you in detail, just got to give a shout out to Mikhail Bridges in this game. Uh, a fascinating sure. game for him. Uh, six steals. I believe that was a career high in steals. We just posted the highlights on our YouTube channel. If you didn't watch the game, weird time, by the way. <laughs> Subscribe to the YouTube channel yeah. if you haven't done it. Please. 10, 10 a.m., by the way. That was weird for Suns fans here in Arizona. To, to I had to wake up and like plan my day around watching a game at 10 a.m. Very odd. Uh, but Mikhail Bridges went in there. And, and by the way, that could be a reason why the shooting was so off. Right. How, you know, how often are they used to playing uh, in the morning, even if they're on the east coast but Mikhail came in there and he did all the little things people said compared it to a Draymond stat line I thought that was that was me (laughs) I said that perfect (laughs) it's a it's a perfect way of describing the game because I mean he did everything I I think only one block by the end of the game but uh uh, you know there was points there was assists there was steals there was even rebounds and and he did it all in a lot of interesting ways did he end with four or five assists I can't remember four four assists but funny uh, yeah he could have uh, had that four by five, and there was some missed shots there. I was waiting for that fifth assist, and guys were not were, knocking down those there shots. There were a lot of missed shots. Yeah, he found yeah. – uh, uh, and look, Cam we'll, Johnson give, and, we'll give him yeah. a pass. But, yeah, he found Cam Johnson wide open in the corner multiple yeah. times in the, in the fourth quarter. Didn't Even happen. Even that little dribble by Cam Johnson. <laughs> you know, Cam Johnson – somebody asked about Cam Johnson struggling lately. I'm not sure that I see that. I, I, know he, I know he came back from COVID, and I think it's important to keep that in mind with him. Uh 
overall, I think his shooting is down from last season, but the volume is up a little bit. So if you factor in volume going up and overall percentage dropping by a few percentage points, I don't think that's completely out of the ordinary for guys like that. The more you shoot, the more you just have to get used to shooting in different scenarios. So I'm not totally worried about that. And I thought, you know, this game is fine. Jay Crowder, (laughs) that sure was ugly to watch Jay Crowder in this game, but he's been making everything lately. It felt like when he was shooting in the last five or six games, I thought it was going to go in every single time. So I'm not really worried about Jay Crowder, the dip there either. Um, So Mikhail came in, did really well. Do you have anything to say about Mikhail specifically? Uh, Not really. I mean, yeah, when I compared him to a a Draymond-esque performance, I'm talking not about Draymond. (laughs) <laughs> in his sad current form uh although he, he you know he still has yeah I'll, I'll give him some credit he still has a positive impact um but a current draymond stat line would be more like two points on one of three shooting in 35 minutes and and he still gets assists but <laughs> yeah uh no i'm talking about like 2014 prime draymond is like that's right. kind of what this what this game felt like and yeah just a super impactful game uh from mikhail unfortunately i was watching back his six steals and actually on most of those six steals like the suns pushed it in transition but it didn't actually lead to anything (laughs) um but on a couple of them like he had that one where he picked it off and then went coast to coast for a dunk that was super cool so those plays definitely do make a difference uh, over the course of a game yeah and you know we should talk about another guy too in our last episode uh, we talked about uh, Dario Saric and Dario Saric, the sort of the meteor coming down a little closer to earth for how good he had been in the previous games. Uh, now you kind of see that, like I said, coming crashing down to earth a little bit. Uh, since our last episode, let me bring up some stats for him. Um, let's see. It's pretty bad. Uh, he hasn't made a single three-pointer. <laughs> Yeah. Not one in that time, and that's four games played. Um, 29% from the field overall in the last four games. Uh, even the, even with all how bad that was, his plus-minus over those last four games is only a minus 2.5. So the Suns are still getting outscored with him on the floor. I thought that he showed a little bit of life in the last two games in the post, where they were finding him in the post, and he was finding ways to uh, play make out of the post and, and either get to the free throw line or get shots at the rim. Mm-hmm. Whether or not those shots drop, I think will over time like that'll even out to where they're dropping a little more than not. Uh, but getting shots at the rim for this team, creating them for yourself, <laughs> it's almost unheard of. There's only a few yeah. guys that can do it. So if Dario can find ways to do that in the post, I think he's fine. Uh, yeah, I ugly, think an ugly stretch for him. Super ugly stretch for him. I still think um, he's going to come back up. And, and come back to form a little bit. It's super important for him, as you were just stressing, to to push in the post a little bit and try to get to the free throw line because that's where he's going to score a lot of his points. He's a pretty good free throw shooter. Um, and also, just with what we know about Dario, it's really easy to read the scouting report on Dario Sharge. Like, I think at first, uh, in the first half of the season's kind of opponents, it was jarring. The fact that Dario was playing so much small ball five, they weren't really used to it. They were kind of prepared to go out and guard him on the perimeter. Well, now he's in a shooting slump, and everyone knows that he's going to try that pump fake when he gets inside. Um, so you just have to wait with him, and you can block his shot pretty easily. It really shouldn't be that difficult. So it's going to get harder for Dario from here on out, but he's a smart player, and I have faith that, that he can adjust. Yeah, I'm still semi-convinced something weird is going on there because sometimes when guys miss they're just missing but when guys are like airballing shots that they normally make on like a consistent basis I mean four games in a row without a single three-point make uh it might be his first time that that's happened on the Suns for the entire time he's been here it's a weird stretch for him where I'm just I'm wondering if there's something else going on whether it be a small injury uh, something bothering him or maybe not. Maybe something personal in his life. Or it's just a bad stretch. That does happen. It's not completely uh, out of the realm of possibilities. Well, He's just having a tough stretch. I'm still hoping it's just a tough stretch. But, uh, you know, we're, we're going to talk about the deadline, I guess, a little bit later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, it makes the conversation relevant again, right? Like, it, it, there will come a point, if it isn't just a bad week or two, uh, where, <laughs> where we have to start facing up to the idea of seeing Frank Kaminsky minutes in the playoffs and I don't know how people at home feel about that I don't feel too great about that honestly so I hope Dario hope he comes back and uh and we see some more great play out of him like we were used to seeing 
the good news is the Suns starting center has been playing very well lately. We're that gonna is get great to that. news. We're going to talk. We're going to get that. to that a little bit later. I do want to. There's a, this is a bit, this is the biggest question that we have for the Suns. The question is: Are they first of all? Are they a bad clutch team? And I think I push back on that. I no. don't think they're a terrible clutch team, to be honest. Um, I think that there is some evidence set that says that they could struggle in specific games in the clutch, depending on how the defense is playing against them. And how could they fix it? That's the sort of the next question to cover with the Suns. And I think Devin Booker was, was talking about it after the Charlotte game specifically. And I think he summed up exactly uh, what I've been thinking and sort of what I've been trying to convey online. And what he said specifically is that the Suns have some actions that they run, but at the end of the games, when it really grinds down to a halt and defenses are really keyed in and they're switching everything, it often boils down to the best players using their gravity to try and make the right play for themselves or for others, essentially. And that is what's happening. And that's what happens oftentimes in the playoffs as well because switching happens more and more and more. And I think we need to talk about, you and I, sort of how we feel about that and what we think other options are. And I did Mm -hmm. some extensive research on this specifically to see what the Suns' options could be against specifically defenses that switch because I think this is a very important conversation to talk about. But what do you think about, first of all, what he said and just about this general conversation? Uh, Well, before I even get there, I just want to address your first question, which is, are the Suns a bad clutch team? I want to point out they rank 16th in clutch net rating. That's obviously, I mean, it's average. It's So I, I wouldn't say they're a bad clutch team. I wouldn't even say they've been a bad clutch team compared to playoff teams because you could look at it and say, well, 16th, if you're only comparing them to the the 16 best teams that make the playoffs, then maybe they're really bad. But in fact, Utah is 15th. The Clippers are 23rd. This is not even a full season sample size, so we don't know how these numbers are are eventually going to, to level out. But there are other contending teams that are in a similar situation the Suns are right now where they have certainly not been good in the clutch. I can admit that. But they haven't been an all-around travesty. They've won plenty of close games. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in the position they're in, second seed in the Western Conference in the first place. Now, with what you're saying about Book in particular, I think, a lot. again, a lot of the discourse we've seen online is, and this is not a knock on anyone, it's just a fact that Suns fans haven't watched playoff basketball in, in a long time. You know, it very well could be that there are brand new fans of the Suns this season, brand new NBA fans who have never watched the playoffs before, or it could be people who were young the last time the Suns were in the playoffs, like me. I was a teenager, barely a teenager at the time, and who became a Suns fan afterwards, and, and you know, so it's been five or ten years for them. The Suns... Uh, are going to be just fine, I think, offensively, based on the talent of their two, uh, I don't know if I would say superstars, but certainly their two all-stars, who we have, in the case of Devin Booker, half a decade, in the case of Chris Paul, a decade and a half of data backing up the fact that these are good isolation players. When defenses go to switch everything in the playoffs, like you said, Mike, as they will, isolation, iso ball, it's less efficient than pick and roll offense it's much less efficient than transition offense if you can just you know pick off a ball and 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 get out and run but it becomes the necessity you need to have it in the playoffs every team is going to need to have it and there's no reason to believe from what i'm looking at that the suns with chris paul and devin booker in the driver's seat will be in any worse a situation than the vast majority of other playoff teams they'll they'll be going up against granted there are other playoff teams who have even better iso players I've yeah. talked about how I wish Devin Booker hit more pull-up threes, uh, Chris Paul hit more pull-up threes. But just the the gravity those guys have in the mid-range area, as we've talked about at length, their ability to hit mid-range pull-up shots um, and get to their spot at will is not something to be taken for granted. It's not something that many other playoff teams have access to. And yeah, I think we can talk specifically about, well, when the offense kind of grinds down and defenses are switching everything, how can you get the ball moving a little bit again, right? And and how can you really cut with purpose and pass with purpose and try to find other guys so that the ball doesn't stick quite as much as it did today? Because really today it did stick. But most times when it's down to the last five minutes and you've, you're, you're trusting Devin Booker and Chris Paul, I trust those guys. And I don't think there are too many teams in the NBA that are in a better position. 
I when I watch the way because a lot of people are now asking the question, what's going on with Monty's play calling? <laughs> and I think oftentimes it's easiest to sort of blame the coach in scenarios like this. But I, 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 I'll be 100 percent honest with with people listening here. There's only like five or six actions that NBA teams run. Uh, really and there's a lot of variance on those actions and a lot of ways that the ball can move in those actions and I think a lot of times it boils down to execution over specific play calls how are they executing those plays but I do want to talk about something really specific here and I'll I'll be honest I I went back and I, I a long time ago I did a lot of research on on offense against switches I went back to that research and I looked at specific types of play calls that work against switches. And I think it's actually what I've learned is there are specific limiting factors with the Suns that make it especially difficult for them to be successful against switching offenses. And as I describe this, I do apologize to people that are listening. Admittedly, this would probably be better. It's almost impossible to talk about on Twitter. <laughs> it's a little bit easier to talk about on a podcast. The ideal form for a conversation like this is probably in a video. Uh, and if I find some time to, to put these types of plays together and I find the right film for these specific types of plays, I'll try to do something like that at some point. But the majority of NBA actions that work in the favor of the offensive team when a team is switching is designed to create mismatches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the main goal. And you attack the mismatches. And what yeah. what really happens in that scenario is you look at a screen and you look at another screen and then it looks like isolation ball. But at that point, what they did is they screened two or three times to create the proper mismatch. And now they're attacking the mismatch one-on-one. The Suns should be good at that if you just boil it down to just that alone. Right, Devin Booker should be good at attacking mismatches. Chris Paul should be good at attacking mismatches. The truth is, and this is something that you can debate on your own, Monty Williams does not trust the other players on the team to attack those mismatches. And I think for good reason. We saw Jake Crowder shoot an air ball right before the end of the fourth quarter in Charlotte. We saw DeAndre Ayton throw the ball out of bounds in Orlando when when the defense sort of collapsed on him when he caught it on the inbound. Uh, he does not want to put DeAndre in, in the scenario where he catches the ball against a mismatch and the, the defense starts collapsing on him and he has to make a decision to either pass, dribble, or shoot. If you think that's wrong, that's fine. I think it makes a lot of sense for where DeAndre Ayton is at in his development. If DeAndre Ayton shows that he can play make for himself and for others, then it will make more sense for him to do that. But the fact that he can't do that in the first three quarters means he probably shouldn't be doing that in late in the fourth quarter at this point of his career, which is totally fine. But what you're working with now, and sorry, Sam, I know I'm going to go on a long tangent here. No, you're good. I love it. I love this stuff. What you're looking at now is you're looking at a center who's a rim-running center who does not dribble and does not really play make for others, which is fine. Those people have long NBA careers and they become very valuable on good NBA teams. But what that means is if you want to create a mismatch for the center who's posting up maybe 15 feet away from the basket, that's difficult because a lot of those, like if you set a down screen, for example, if DeAndre Ayton sets a down screen for Devin Booker coming off the ball, what happens is the down screen will cause it to where Devin Booker is now at the top of the key with a big man. DeAndre Ayton is likely being fronted by a smaller defender at that point. Do you trust DeAndre Ayton in that scenario? Yeah, possibly. You're going to have to throw, first of all, a lob pass over two defenders to get the ball to DeAndre and close to the rim. And that leaves a third defender to come off the corner on the weak side to play that secondary defense on DeAndre. And now DeAndre has two defenders on him with the ball close to the basket. Now, is he going to shoot that? Maybe. Is he going to pass it? Maybe. Do you want to trust him to do that in the fourth quarter in a tied game? Probably not. That's fine. So then you can't really run like the Warriors, for example. What the the Warriors may be the best team of all time against switches. If you just look at the best Warriors team, are you talking about course. the current Warriors or the KD ones? <laughs> Not the current Warriors. <laughs> uh, let's actually go back even before KD, because okay. most of their actions revolve around Clay and Steph. And what they would do against switches, they they do exactly that. They'd set some sort of down screen. They'd get they'd get the ball in the post with Draymond Green holding the ball, and then they run what it, what's called split cuts. And with split cuts, what you have is basically Clay and Steph screening for each other, one guy rolling to the rim, one one guy popping out to the three-point line. 
If you do that, it works really, really well. And you could do that with, say, Cam Johnson or Jay Crowder and Devin Booker. And you could do that with Chris Paul and Devin Booker. But if you're doing that with Chris Paul and Devin Booker, there is a very simple problem with that. Neither of them are really, really great catch-and-shoot three-point shooters. And mm-hmm. that makes it difficult to run against switch defenses with both of those guys because at that yep. point, you're relying on one of those two guys to rely on their what what's not really considered one of their major strengths. And so that means they're probably attacking in a, an essentially an isolation scenario at the end of that play, even if they catch it open at the three-point line. So you can't really run split cuts at that. But the other part of why you can't do that you need a really good passer in the post, right? You need a really good passer. The problem with the Suns, too, in the post offense works really well against switches. Who's the best post player on the Suns? Ah. Uh, Devin Booker. <laughs> yes, it's an interesting conversation, and yeah. I was wondering when you were going to bring it up. And what do you do at that point? You try and switch the point guard onto him? I mean, fine, but that means Chris Paul is setting screens. That's probably not going to work very well. I actually disagree with that, if I can jump It in. could. It absolutely could. I think that might be your best chance. Yeah, I, and I understand that. I actually think that that makes sense. So I think but there there were multiple games in a row where Chris Paul got the. I'm sorry, Devin Booker got the ball in the post, and he doesn't get calls in those scenarios. And that, right, that's tough. I think when we talk about how can the Suns optimize their offense here, something we have to understand. Like if you look at a team, I think New Orleans is the best example of this. When you've got to switch everything defense, you're trying to target the worst defender on the other team. Something that New Orleans did, J.J. Redick is not with that team anymore, but something they did quite a bit is they would have J.J. Redick come up, and we saw it this season. This is not a playoff team, but it's just the most recent example that I can think of. J.J. Redick would come up, and he would screen for Zion. This happened in the game against the Suns. The Suns would switch, or another defense would switch. Suddenly, Zion is on a small. This sort of stuff works really well with guys who can just power their way to the rim, who are slashers, who are high free throw shooters guys who generate a lot of contact the problem the Suns are having is they have neither what mike was talking about a minute ago with deandre ayton and and it's not that deandre ayton is bad it's just that he's not the right type of big to attack this specifically and they also don't have one of those wings in mikhail bridges or jay crowder cam johnson or anyone else who can really attack mismatches draw contact be aggressive and get to the free throw line so how how do you create those mismatch opportunities i think one of your best chances is with Devin Booker in the post. But the only way to be able to do that is Chris Paul comes, he sets a screen. Now you've got a 6'1", 6'2", defender on Devin Booker. You do a little give and go between those two guys. You get Booker situated in the post. That might be that might be one of the ways, and there are many ways, but that might be one of the ways that you can try to attack a switch everything defense. Yeah. But yeah, just, to go, just to go back to the original example that you were talking about, though, that first play you talked about where it was Aiton, setting like a a pin down for Booker and Booker runs to the top of the key, right? Like hopefully you guys at home, you can kind of understand. Let's say Booker's there. He fakes a pass to to Aiton or he tries to throw that lob to Aiton. Like if he, he looks down maybe one or two options and realizes that he can't actually get the pass to the right spot and already there's like seven seconds left on the shot clock. Yeah. And at that point, that's how these plays break down, and that's how this offense breaks down. And if it's in Devin Booker's hands with seven seconds left, you still trust that he can get something, and it's going to be kind of productive, relatively. Yeah. Um, but this stuff is really hard. It's it's when teams are switching everything, specifically yeah. the good teams that you see in the playoffs. Right. It's really hard to make the types of quick decisions that Monty Williams has built yeah. his system on to this point. Exactly. Exactly, especially when you really, really rely on two guys to make the best possible play, and that's it. If you could rely on you know, four or five guys to make the best possible pass in those scenarios, you're in the best position to succeed. Very, very, very few teams can rely on four or five guys on the floor at one time to make the best possible play. Like, for example, one of the easiest ways, one of the easiest ways to beat a switch oh, here is, it is. Just, a, just a big man slipping the screen. There it is. It's the Nakias Duncan line. I was going to mention the same, the same it's, thing. It's one yeah. of the, but what happens in that scenario? What happens in that scenario is the guard has to now pass between two guys because likely what they're going to do is trap because they're essentially forced to trap the guard. So the guard is now passing between two guys to a big man and that big man is not under the rim. That big man is more likely 15 feet away from the basket. So now yeah. they're catching it 15 feet away it's from the, the basket. Roll. It's a short roll. So mm-hmm. when you have a short roll, you can't attack because if DeAndre is is getting it on the short roll, the big man is probably on the guard, Devin Booker or Chris Paul, 
and he either attacks the short roll uh, directly or he makes the right play with the pass. Now, I've, I think he's gotten better at making the right play in the pass. I don't mm-hmm. think that he's shown enough that you can reliably count on him in the clutch situation to make that pass on a regular basis. Now, I want everyone to realize this is most players in the NBA. I'm not criticizing DeAndre in, in, in too big of a way here. I also would not trust basically anyone else on this team to make that pass. Maybe Dario Sarge, but I'm not sure at the end of the shot clock, you know, in, in the fourth quarter that I would trust him to do it either. Yeah. It's just, it's very the few thing guys is- are- Sharich is very good. He's very comfortable already with slipping screens. He's very comfortable in that short roll position. When we talk about the short roll, we're talking about they're not rolling all the way to the rim. They're in that little 10 to 15 feet out pocket in the key. And from that position, you've got a very good vantage point looking towards both of the corners. You can imagine you've got Mikhail Bridges in one corner. You've got Cam Johnson in the other. Um, Sharich, I would trust with those playmaking duties. And I also trust him to dribble. But I don't trust him to finish, especially with the way he's playing right now. Yeah, DeAndre exactly. Ayton is a much better finisher. And and again, you're right. It's not criticism of DeAndre Ayton as much as it's just like when we talk about the next stage of this guy's offensive development, what, yeah. what I really want to be stressing towards him next year is slip the screen, catch the ball on the short roll, work on your vision, find the guys, the open guys in the corners. You're going to get open shots that way, but also just attack. It's, I mean, at that point, it's not even like a, you have to totally create your own offense with three or four dribbles type thing. It's one dribble, go. And it's just one dribble, attack the rim with, with some level of ferocity. If he adds that to his game next year, it's an entirely different DeAndre Ayton that looks a a lot more terrifying, not just for the regular season, but for the playoffs. uh, Yeah. And, and even even shooting more, uh, like three, if he became like a reliable three point shooter, that would make a big difference as well. Because, uh, like if you're talking about a five out offense, if if you're not talking about uh, if if one player on the floor is not limited to only shooting shots in the paint, essentially in, in a clutch scenario, you, you can be a little bit more creative in your play design with five outs. You can run basically flare screens that are essentially like slipping screens off the ball, uh, flare screens for other players that easily allow guys to roll to the rim or or cut to the three-point line. But players have to be more of a threat at the three-point line for that to work like in the optimal way. It can still possibly work, and, I, and, I, and I'll get to it in a second because I have more notes about <laughs> what I do think. I'm sorry, I know. I have more notes about what I do think they could do sure. in the future to get better. One thing the Warriors did, and, and, this, and I know I'm back to the Warriors, but like I said, they're the best team ever at playing against switches in in the, and one of the reasons why is they had two of the best shooters of all time. But one thing that they did was it's commonly called a ghost screen or a 12, which is essentially a shooting guard screening for a point guard. And what you do in that case is say Steph Curry's at the top of the key and Clay is coming up from either side and he's coming up to screen, but instead of screening, he just stops as if he's going to screen and then he sprints past him to the wing at the three-point line. What that does is it confuses the switch because at that point, they're setting up to switch on the screen, but as soon as the two, the guy screening, fakes that screen and sprints to the three-point line, there's a good chance that the two defenders, if they're not communicating properly, they either both stay on the point guard or they both chase the shooting guard. But what does that do? That leaves uh, one of the two wide open at the three-point line. What's one of the problems with Devin Booker and Chris Paul? they're not going to really shoot that at a really high clip. That's a shot that you probably don't want them taking in a clutch scenario. So what does that mean? That means that it probably boils down to an isolation in that scenario. That means Chris Paul's probably attacking off the dribble or Devin Booker's probably attacking off the dribble in that scenario. So that's why the Suns can run that action, but it probably ends up even still with them dribbling against it. Finding the proper mismatch and attacking the mismatch is probably how most of these plays end no matter what. I, I want to point out here, I think it's useful to, again, inject some stats into it. Uh, I just looked up ISO efficiency for every team in the NBA this year. The Suns are the ninth most efficient isolation team in the NBA this season. And and I just want to compare that to the teams that they're going to be going up against in the West. The big dogs, the Nuggets are 13th, the Clippers 14th, the Lakers 21st. And the Utah Jazz, this is the big problem with the Utah Jazz and why a lot of people don't believe in the Utah Jazz, are 28th. Um, It's not that they're in terrible shape with what we're talking about right now. So I 
do think a good amount of it is just people are getting frustrated at the fact that the Suns aren't scoring points in the final four or five minutes of the game, right? But I do think we we, we kind of have to remember, and, and granted, the Lakers have LeBron James, and the Clippers have Kawhi yeah. Leonard, you know. Right. So, so, so big I'm not wings, saying I'm big not saying wings become very valuable against very players. valuable. I'm not saying the Lakers are going to stay 21st. I'm not saying the Clippers are going to stay 14th. Those big wings will be valuable. But with where the Suns are right now, they're not doomed by any means. Like we, you know, they're going to score fewer points in fourth quarters. So defense becomes even more critical as they have to clamp down and, and take care of their own business. It's always going to just it's just a fact that iso ball is going to lead to fewer points than pick and roll offense which is going to lead to fewer points in transition offense and that's going to happen not just for the suns but for every team across the league and as we talk about you know the types of teams that the suns are going to play in the playoffs they don't need to be the best isolation team of all time they don't need to be the warriors right, right. you know you don't need to be the fastest gazelle in the savannah you just need to outrun the slowest one to escape the lion. And in a lot of these matchups that the Suns are going to be playing, that's kind of going to be what it's like. Like if they go against Utah, they don't need to hold themselves to Golden State standard. They just need to be a better iso ball team than Utah. And I'm very confident that they can do that. But against a team like the Lakers, it's going to be more challenging. Yeah. For the Suns, there's a few things that I think that they should essentially do uh, in order to try to solve this. A lot of what I've said, like I said, a lot of these plays that are, are designed for, for switching, the Suns do all of them, for the record. They all end, in most cases, because of the way the Suns' best players play with uh, their best player attacking a mismatch. And what I think they're doing in a lot of scenarios at the end of these games is they're understanding that players are switching everything. So they have guys just coming up and setting soft screens instead, and they're getting that mismatch from the top of the key, and then they're running against that mismatch at the top of the key. They should not do that. They should run their offense as normal. If it still ends with getting that mismatch and attacking that mismatch, I think they will do it from a more advantageous position if they run these plays instead of just deciding and sort of giving up that it's going to end with that mismatch no matter what and just setting these sort of fake screens to get that mismatch from the top of the key. The other thing I think they can do is, this is tough, but essentially use Devin Booker as a big man. A lot of these switch plays are designed to have, like, for example, there's a play called a back screen seal, which is essentially uh, like if Devin Booker set a back screen for like Chris Paul running up to the top of the key and Chris Paul caught the ball. Well, because Devin Booker set that back screen, the guy that's probably on Devin Booker is now fronting him and he can seal off and then get the ball in the post and then attack from a post position instead of the top of the key. That's one way to do it like we were just talking about. Um, and and there's also, the last thing is essentially Chris Paul should have the ball in his hands to start these plays because Chris Paul is useless off the ball. I, I, I know this is not a super controversial take because uh, we all know this sort of as Suns fans. He doesn't shoot, but he's one of the best players of all time. So it's I, I'm not trying to insult him here. But what I'm saying is he's not running off screens, right? He's not attempting to post up off the ball. In a lot of these scenarios with Devin Booker having the ball at the top of the key, he's in the corner, which is valuable as a secondary playmaker if Devin Booker has to find him, but oftentimes it's with five seconds left off the clock. Devin Booker is a very good off-ball player. So in these scenarios, Devin Booker should be setting more screens. People should be setting screens for Devin Booker off the ball. And Chris Paul should be finding him on the move more often. And I know that's tough, with switches, but there are options where if Devin Booker is setting screens and people are setting screens for Devin Booker, he will be capable of catching the ball, like I said, in more advantageous positions with Chris Paul feeding him instead of Devin Booker just starting off. It might end in an isolation no matter what, but if that isolation is from 15 feet instead of from 35 feet, I kind of like that a little bit more and that might take a little more action to get there. Those are the solutions that I've come up with after extensive research uh, I and I'd like to see if they do some of those. What do you think? I think that's great stuff. Um, you're talking about Chris Paul there. Uh, man, it's kind of beating a dead horse. But like, how good was James Harden at isolation those yeah. years in Houston? That they almost we're talking about Golden State as the gold standard here. The best in the league. They really, I mean, they really. James Harden was the best in the league. They really almost did that. <laughs> yeah. that that's crazy i mean if if booker is ever even close to that level of isolation player that harden prime harden is yeah 
Yeah. I, I, I suggest looking up post split cuts for those people who want to see some plays. Warriors post split cuts. Um, and the one to the 12 uh, slip screen, it's called a ghost screen with the Warriors as well. Yeah. Because the, the, the Suns can run a ghost screen with Devin Booker and Chris Paul. But like I said, that's probably going to end at the isolation anyway. Maybe you have Cam Johnson in the game and he plays the Clay Thompson role in that scenario and he actually mm. shoots it. That could work. Yeah, that could work. Uh, basically, what we're saying, I guess, here is is post-up positioning, but not necessarily with your big man. And slipped screens everywhere is going to come yeah. to define the Suns' offense in the playoffs. And more off-ball action with Devin Booker in the clutch, I think, is... And the, the, the thing that yeah. we're not addressing here is they're probably tired <laughs> in a lot of these scenarios, too, at the totally. end of games. And I think, you know, as Suns fans, we probably don't recognize that as much. But if a screen is set a little bit lazy... That's going to matter. Or if a cut is sort of a lazy cut or a late cut, that's going to matter. Those are what ends up in isolations as well. And I think often this is where we started. It's more about execution than play call. They need to execute better in their execution than to necessarily change the play calls. Because like I said, there's only a few actions that these teams run. They can be slightly more creative and I'd like to see it. We've already gone a little too long with this conversation. So I'm going to throw it to a break. And when we come back, we still have a little bit more to talk about. We'll be right back. All right, it's time to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our distributor, Blue Wire Pods. And there's no better place than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was designed to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord and an with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. E-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about your favorite team, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. All right, we're back. We are going to do a segment. We haven't done this segment in a few weeks. Part of the reason we haven't done this segment in a few weeks is because nobody has sent us a theme song for Player of the Week. We're going to do Player of the Week right now. I picked one. Sam picked one, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the trade deadline that wasn't. Uh, if you have a Player of the Week theme song that you would like to send in to us, we would love to play it. Uh, put a little bit of effort in it, of course. We <laughs> ask you that. Uh, but if you do, just have it say Player of the Week. Keep it less than like 20 seconds long, ideally, and we'll play it as a theme song for this segment. All right, Player of the Week. I'm going to go first because I think I know yours, and I think it'll flow nicely into the conversation we're going to have after that. Mine is DeAndre Ayton. I mentioned it earlier in this podcast. DeAndre Ayton has had, in my opinion, a great week. As much as he was attacked for sort of the, the boneheaded play at the end of the Orlando game, the Toronto game, we haven't talked about it yet, I think was one of the more fascinating games that the Suns have played so far. Nick Nurse, 
like literally like an evil genius, uh, put OG Ananobi on DeAndre Ayton, and they and he put Siakam on Jay Crowder. Siakam was cheating off Jay Crowder the whole game, so the Suns struggled to get the ball to DeAndre Ayton in the post because they would have doubled him immediately. Basically, the entire game plan was designed to make DeAndre Ayton somewhat of a playmaker. And I credit DeAndre Ayton for not being flustered by this at all. I think he just played that game really well. Even his rebounding numbers were a little low for that game. It didn't feel like that. He did the right things in almost every scenario for the game. Played excellent defense, got the important rebounds, and then ended the game with a clutch block against Pascal Siakam. And then I think he played well today in Charlotte as well. Basically, I think three of the four games this week were really good games for DeAndre Ayton, you know, starting with that Lakers game. And then he played well throughout. Very impressive, even against Miami. I just thought it was that a was great my week favorite for- game of the week, personally. Yeah. The, yeah. the Miami one. Yeah. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, he had a he had a tremendous week. Uh, so you know, I think it's important that we give him his credit. Um, yeah. But yeah, that Miami game was my favorite. I, I do think Toronto was the most interesting because it was the most experimental, like you kind of yeah. hinted at. Um, whereas against Miami, he just played it straight, but he contested every shot against the yeah. Heat. Yeah. You know, and 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 it kind of just demonstrated what we already knew that this is how far this guy has come as a drop defender, his yeah. ability to drop back, and whether it was Kendrick Nunn or Tyler Harrow or um, who the hell else do they have? Jimmy Duncan Butler, Robinson, Jimmy yeah, Butler, D- yeah. Duncan Robinson. I mean, Duncan Robinson, you know, didn't really drive, but everyone, <laughs> yeah. everyone on the Heat roster who tried to drive on DeAndre Ayton in that game was thwarted. And it, yeah, it was it was beautiful. I mean, he he allowed maybe one or two buckets at the rim, and and that was it. I, Great I mean, is there is there a better team to play drop defense against than the Miami Heat at this point? The, Miami it, is it close. Kind of played right into his hands, which is really nice to see him come through in there. Memphis without Triple J this year has been uh, yeah another true. one where it's like we just do that because it's too easy. It's yeah. too easy to do that against John Morant. Yeah, I thought there were times in this. You know, we've talked about it before. DeAndre and has good games he has mediocre games he can go into sort of slumps for a few games at a time if he comes to the playoffs as focused as he's been this week the Suns can do very very well in the playoffs now there are ways to to scheme against the Suns no matter what as we just sort of talked about in the last segment for for a very long amount of time (laughs) yeah for a long amount of time but I think DeAndre Ayton is is going to be if he plays the type of defense that he played in the last week offensively I think he's been good too but specifically on defense teams their entire game plan is going to be trying to figure out how to avoid deandre Ayton at the rim which is good news for the suns because you want that to be the case you want them right. to be afraid of your center at the rim and and you know i, I felt good this week and, as far as picturing how they could be in the playoffs and to that point it kind of sets up a paradox you know people get frustrated when Ayton starts off strong and then isn't receiving the ball well as we kind of again just demonstrated for half an hour with Aiton where he's at in his current development until he gets to the point where he really feels comfortable self-creating off the dribble and has to rely on other people to feed him, there will be games where he maybe only has 14 or 16 points. But his gravity is so enormous that it creates all these opportunities for everyone else on the team. So you could say he had a fantastic game. And that like those games may still frustrate some people because he doesn't get the ball as much as those people want. But the more defensive attention that DeAndre Ayton is drawing down the down low, the more respect he's getting, the better that is ultimately for the Suns. And it might lead, in some cases, to lower stat lines, but it would be a better performance for Ayton. Again, yeah, paradoxically. I, but I, t- I totally agree. I, and, you know, the real difference, no matter what, on a good team, on a good team, the di- real difference between DeAndre Ayton averaging, say, 15 and 25 points is the ability to catch the ball 18 feet from the basket and create for himself on a consistent basis. If he can't do that, that's totally fine because what he can be is still insanely valuable on the defensive end. Ideally, he becomes a little bit more of a playmaker the way Bam Adebayo is. I think that will help against the switching defense that we talked about in the last segment. But for now, his main thing that he can provide is defense and he can still have games where he's getting 20 to 25 points a game and it makes a massive, massive difference. Yes, most of those are assisted by other players, and that means having a guy like Devin Booker or Chris Paul is vital. You can't really do it without it. Uh, but still, the ability to finish those plays is still incredibly important. And, you know, you look at past partners that Chris Paul has had with DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Ayton's already better than DeAndre Jordan ever was on defense, and that's vital. That's super, super important. The fact that he can still finish pretty well at the rim 
is really important. Um, yeah, that I mean that's really all I have on DeAndre. And if you have anything else, you can add it. If not, feel free to <laughs> feel free to go to your man. This uh, is going to be a long a long episode, so I'll just keep <laughs> on rolling with it. My player of the week is. Can I get a drum roll? That's fine. I, I do have a drum set right next to me. It'd be really loud if I played it. Though. I'd, that'd be that'd be uh, <laughs> overkill, maybe. Um, my player of the week is Lamarcus Aldridge for not signing with the Suns and making them the worst <laughs> team. No, I'm kidding. My my player of the week is Tory Craig. Yeah. Notice I said Craig. Craig. Um, that's a bit bit of a debate inside joke for our yeah Twitter friends. Um, Tory Craig. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic first week with the Suns. He's played five games. He's averaging seven points, three and a half rebounds, over an assist per game. He's shooting 54% from the field and 45% from deep. But mostly with this guy, it's, it's you know, he's playing like 15 minutes per game. It's not about the stats as much as it's just about he's been everything that he was advertised to be and more. He just goes out there and he plays hustle defense and he tries to grab every loose ball and he's got long arms and I love him. I love him already. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> I think that uh, he was fine and and, and played times good, uh, but you can you can very much tell that he's not quite used to the plays on this team just yet. And as, and it's more teammates than plays. He has to trust teammates in specific scenarios. There was shots that he turned down that he probably should have taken. There were shots that he took that he probably shouldn't have. But beyond all that, what he has shown is that he can play minutes against good teams because of what he brings on the defensive end and because of his size. There are times, we talked about it in our last episode, that he could even play up to the center position in super small lineups. He did it today. He did it today. Charlotte was killing us with pull-up three-pointers. And when you have teams that are killing you with pull-up three-pointers, you want wings that can push are on the screens on switches and that means push them back and try to even trap in some scenarios and the best case is guys that can move the feet as fast as possible without fouling and he's capable of doing that and i think he'll be really good i'm i'm trying to temper my expectations a little bit because um i'm sure i'm still not quite sure what he can bring on offense but i am pretty sure what he can bring on defense and that's really good i mean he's cutting He's, he's cutting, cutting. He's, he plays he in transition. Shoot. I don't think he's going to shoot 45% from three, but honestly, if he shoots 35, isn't that enough? If he can shoot close to 40 from the corners alone, that is like vital. <laughs> it would be, yeah. it would be, it could mean the difference between like, hey, yeah, maybe he plays 10 minutes a game in the regular season, but if he can shoot close to 40% from the three point line in the corners alone, there's a chance that he plays 20 minutes a game in the playoffs when, when the games really, really matter. And, uh, and you know, that, that would be really important. So, I mean, you know, I'm monitoring it and I think it's a good pick because what James Jones did is he traded nothing for him. He traded a roster spot, essentially. Obviously, Robert Sarver sent off a little bit of money for him, uh, for that, uh, for him as a player, but it, it was a really smart, smart deal. Even if it doesn't work out, the fact that you can take a chance on a player that is exactly the archetype of players that play minutes in the playoffs was brilliant. It was a really, really smart move. Uh, by James Jones, and, and I'm so, excited uh, to see him play. As we wrap up uh, that discussion, what is uh, what does that mean for Abdul Nader? What do you think? I mean, well, the Suns were rumored to be one of the teams that reached out to Gorgie Jang, uh, and I think that Abdul Nader was the like. Not only this sucks for the record, but not only is he not super great <laughs> when he's on the floor, he can have time. He's to plays fine, okay. man. Like yeah. I, I will accept. No slander. He, no, you're he does right. have you're issues. Right. I see. Terrible. Like personally, I terrible. hear you because I know where you're going with this, and I've heard I've heard this argument before. I think they're Abdul Nader's not the worst player currently on the Suns roster. Now he may be the worst fit if they were going to sign another big man, but yeah. I think they could cut other guys. That's just, I I won't I, name names, but that's no no you and you can if you want. I mean, it really it should be Frank. If you're signing another big, it should be Frank Kaminsky because you're signing another big in order to avoid playing Frank Kaminsky. It's really the truth. I think there are chemistry reasons that they may not cut Frank Kaminsky. They seem he seems to be really well liked in the Suns locker room, but that's the ideal player that you would cut in that scenario. You're trying to upgrade that third big spot, which it doesn't seem like they're going to have the opportunity to do at this point. So, be, you know, but Abdul Nader, I was going to say he's also been hurt lately like he's he, he every other game it seems like he's on the injury report which you know it's it's not great to cut guys in that scenario but you know the best ability is availability when you're already on the fringes of the NBA as is it wouldn't be entirely 
a surprise if if for some reason they signed a guy and they cut Nader or Frank or you know if they cut more I personally would be surprised uh, because of it just doesn't seem like they trust very many guys to I mean, play playmaking positions on this team. If we're just being honest, I I have no issues with Etwan Moore, but that's the guy who's played the worst. Like Frank Kaminsky has given us production that Etwan Moore hasn't this season, yeah. and I get it. If you don't want to lose another guard, I I get it. Yeah, and why but, have like. Why have multiple guys in that in that third big spot? Really, like if you if you're signing Jang, it would make the most sense to cut Frank. I just don't think they would. So <laughs> it's a well, weird so scenario where it seems like they let's they like him. Let's talk about the deadline then. Um, sorry, I'm doing your push to no, the no, next no. segment thing we for be you. There. <laughs> but what was what was your reaction? Because because we didn't have a chance. You know, a lot of Suns podcasts. Yeah. And, uh, Credit to all the Suns podcasts out there that record daily. I don't know how, or or you know, two or three or four More times a week. More often than us, yeah. <laughs> Credit to y'all, because because that shit is hard. I can't imagine it. But we didn't get a chance to give off our immediate takes to the nothingness that was the deadline. What uh-huh. was your initial reaction to the Suns doing nothing? I was freaking out in real time on my Twitter timeline, but I know you were pretty quiet. So what were you doing? <laughs> I, I was, uh, I'll, I'll call myself mildly disappointed, but completely unsurprised. We talked about it in our previous two episodes. I thought they were going to do nothing. So none of it really surprised me entirely. Um, I think George Hill for the price he was traded for it. That would have been a really nice get. And I think you give up a guy like Javon Carter for that or Abdul, you know, Javon, maybe not Abdul later. Cause they probably wouldn't want him again. Uh, but at, at the very least, Javon Carter and Eton Moore could have been traded for him, and that would have worked financially. And you could have gotten a guy like uh, like George Hill on the team. It makes a lot of sense to me. Not surprised they didn't do it. That's really the only move. I'm you know like I like Vucevic, but I never thought the Suns could were going to make a trade for Vucevic anyway. I you mean, know, I thought I, I just if we're talking about it, that's fantastic value that Chicago got him for. Yeah, I understand it, it, why the Suns wouldn't want to be so bold as to make yeah. that step. But to get an all-star for that price is pretty wild. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how I long love it that takes to click. Too. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really good on off. Like that, you know, that's a weird sort of Eastern Conference version of Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic in a, in a way, and and you could that's see that. Good, yeah, it's a good comparison. Yeah, you could see it working out in an interesting way with those two guys. You know, Levine being the best shooter out of all those guys, uh, so it could be really interesting. Uh, you know, so but I'm not I'm not like overly disappointed in that. I, I think that this Suns team has made a pretty good case in the past few weeks to take it into the playoffs and see what happens. Uh, you know, I there are small moves on the fringes. I would have liked to. Jang would have been nice. He signed with the Spurs today. Uh, beyond that, it's just like a mild disappointment. If I guess the part rumors of that is expectations. Are- if the rumors are true about Jang, then supposedly we were one of like eight teams competing for him. And yeah. I don't know why he chose San Antonio. I guess it's, maybe because it's he, weird. The minutes opened up because Aldridge was gone, I guess. And, and that's why yeah. um, there were a couple other guys who moved on the market, man. I mean, my initial reaction was disappointment. I I was never angry, but I think it's just a thing where, you know, we get to this point and I have to remind myself constantly that the Suns are in the best position they've been in in 10 years. They're 31 and 14 and and I'm enjoying the hell out of this season and I want you guys to enjoy the season just as much. I want all of us to be enjoying this this ride yeah. because before we know it, it's going to be over. Um, but at the same time, there's a difference between being the the scrappy sixth seed we thought this team was going to be at the beginning of the season where you're just there to have fun and you win as many games as you can versus when you get to this point and you actually think you can win and suddenly every move on the margin matters. And for the fans, I know for the listeners who listen to this podcast, it's typically the type of Suns fan that watches every game and is so engaged with the team that they're just like, they can't get it out of their heads. They're constantly thinking about ways to improve this team. And right. and that's why my initial reaction was disappointment, because I really do feel yeah. like there are weaknesses here. We, we keep talking about what this team's weaknesses are. If you want to be the team like the Lakers uh, in the playoffs, man, like a guy like Daniel Tice, I thought was really interesting. Yeah, that he was he gave moved. away for free given away for Mo Wagner, which is just like a complete downgrade. And that, yeah. that was like, that's Boston's he's now granted he's one of the worst starting centers in the league, yeah, but he, he wouldn't was, be the starting center here. He was, what, what'd you say? He wouldn't be the starting center. No, he exactly. Phoenix, so. He he was one of the worst starting centers in the league playing 24 minutes a game, but would be one of the best backups in the league. Exactly. So it was like, if you could go get a guy like that, like why, yeah. why didn't I wonder yeah. if they tried or if they just didn't care. Um, yeah. It felt to me like there were obvious upgrades out there that that we really could have pushed a little bit harder yeah. for. Um, but now, you know, 
the roster is set mm-hmm. and I don't really see a name anymore. Like I'm not really fussing over it anymore no. because I just don't think anyone's out there anymore. Like Dwayne well, yeah. Dedman has been a free agent all season long. If the Suns wanted him by now for their last roster spot, they, yeah. they could have picked him up by now. So I don't really yeah. think they're going to go out and, and, and pluck anyone else off the bio market. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't see it either. I think this is the team. This is the team. And unless somebody gets injured, I, I, I imagine they're, they're going to be going into the playoffs with this roster. And I think in a, in a weird way for me and you, uh, that's it, sort of freeing because now we can focus on what they can do to, to get better internally, right. as James Jones talks about. I think for me, the biggest thing that was a disappointment f- was uh, Western Conference teams getting better. We can talk about specifics. I mean, Aaron Gordon... To Denver, yeah. they're they're playing right now. Aaron Gordon looks good, right? He looked like he fit in right away. And Javale, man, I mean, they got their Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumley replacement in yeah. in the same day. Yeah, it and, makes a difference. And you know, you you can make an argument about Rajon Rondo to the Clippers for Lou Williams if that made them better yeah. or not. Yeah. I think it did in the playoffs. I, yeah, I personally saw. I, I don't know if you guys saw this. There's a play where Kawhi Leonard's in the high post and nobody can even pass the ball to him. They just can't even get the ball to him. Because they don't really have a point guard. Lou Williams is not good at those sort of complicated bounce passes. They're going to have a guy that gets the ball to him. I, I think Running that Igor Kokoshkov offense. Yeah and, yeah, and also, you know, he plays better defense than Lou Williams, which could matter in the playoffs. So mm. maybe they won't be better in the regular season. I can see how they improved. In, and look, people are, people are clowning the Lakers for making a big deal out of Drummond. In my opinion, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, yeah. I, I, he's not great but if if Andre Drummond signed a minimum deal at the beginning of the year for the Lakers people would have been like this is insane exactly it's, how it's could a, they get Andre Drummond on a minimum that's it's insane. a shifting expectations thing he's yes. he's going to be good in that role and and again imagining him going up against like Dario because those are the two who would be matched up against each other in a theoretical yeah. series that's frightening yes we don't have any you know we don't have any body to throw at him instead you're gonna put frank on him probably <laughs> like, yeah Jeez, <laughs> oh, and and uh, yeah. let me pick your brain let me pick your brain on portland real quick i didn't really norm powell's a I'm solid sure. player a weird trade weird trade didn't really see it didn't really see that one as an upgrade so i'm not super i'm worried about portland in the sense that they can just get buckets and we've known that and now they'll yeah. continue to be able to get buckets but i don't think it necessarily made them better for my the first my first thought was okay they got like a traditional six man and then they started him uh, no, like, uh, it's not really. They're not really playing him like that now. Yeah. he's a he's a really good three Weird. point shooter. So there is a way where they have to basically outscore you significantly from the three point line to beat you because they're not going to defend you. <laughs> the, they're really not. The and, way you know, that like Devontae Graham, like Ronnie Hood can create his own shot too. Like it's yeah, a weird trade for me. And so can Gary Trent. Yeah, both of them can. The way yeah. that Devontae Graham played against the Suns today is kind of like Portland has just assembled a team of all of those. <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah, going up against Dame and CJ and Norm Powell in the playoffs will just be playing like three Devontae Grahams. I guess yeah. the Lillard will be the supercharged Devontae Graham and then there's like two smaller Devontae Grahams. Yeah. Um, so much of their team now depends on Nurkic getting back and being good. True. And, uh, yeah. Why would they be confident in, in that? I, I'm not. I'm just not sure about. It. They're they're going to be good for the record. Utah so them, added but. a 40% three point shooting white guy. Um, that's no surprise. Yeah. I um, I, I yeah. think I'll. They're already good. So cap off the discussion here. Denver got better, and Denver is currently in the fifth seed. They're only a few games separated from us. It doesn't feel like they're close right now. But let me tell you guys, when we go into that stretch in April where we start playing contender after contender after contender. I still think with the improvements Denver made, they could end up in the second seed by season's end. A lot of things would have to break right for them to do it, but but they could do it. And so they're the team that scares me right now. I think they have a lot more momentum. No one else with their moves on deadline day in the Western Conference really terrifies me. I don't think there was anything else that was just so uh, so drastically changed the outlook of, of, of the atmosphere of the conference. Um, but yeah, I don't want to play Denver in the first round. Like if we sink back a little bit to fourth and they're in fifth, it's it's just going to be a headache. Yeah, um, I hope we don't sink sink back. I don't think the Suns are on a nice trajectory where you know the Lakers are pretty bad. And even as much as Andre Drummond makes a difference, yeah, as much as Andre Drummond makes a difference when they are healthy, I'm not sure he makes a big difference when they aren't. 
Ad- admittedly, he's a better defender than Montrez Harrell, so they'll be slightly better at defending the pick and rolls. But you know, I, they're probably con- going to continue to sink. It's going to be a fascinating. People want us to talk about the playoffs. Sorry for everyone that gave us topics that I couldn't. We didn't really have time to get to. We're probably not going to talk about the playoffs until we get closer to that because that's going to be a lot of conversations we're going to have at that point. And we have we need a chance to see these new guys on their new teams. But the last thing I want to say on the conversation about switches, one thing that Devin Booker said that I think is an important thing to point out is that you cannot practice for those scenarios. You can try, but the truth is at the end of the game, when the pressure is at the highest, teams are locked in defensively and they're switching everything, and you're tired, that's the only way to really learn how to be good in that scenario. The Suns have a fascinating stretch coming up in April where I think they're going to be in clutch situations against good teams, and we're going to get to see them, in a way, practice for the playoffs in those scenarios. I hope to see some of the changes I talked about here, but that's the really the only way to get better at it, so I'm excited to see that. Do you have anything else before we go, Sam? can trust you guys to to freak out based on the result of each and every one of those games once we get to april um didn't we get any fun conversation topics next underneath what uh, your we got tweet? a bunch but there's like 55 comments now so <laughs> we're just gonna ignore 55 comments i'm cool with that i'll see you guys we're over next an hour week, I guess. <laughs> we're yeah over it's all right already so we'll hopefully be you guys like the x's and o's talk and not whatever the hell else we were going to talk about at some point we have to do a mailbag you guys can hold us to this now that I'm saying it on a podcast. We'll do a mailbag to make up, make it up to you guys. Uh, but we'll be back soon after the next few games. Or if anything interesting happens, we can come back in the meantime. But thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah, if we, if we want to go where we've got to go or want to go, you know, we're going to have to clean up you know, some late game situations. And I think the best way to learn is just experience it. Being in that, being in the fire, um, and learning from it. So you just have to go back, watch film, uh, find some packages, late W's. Because uh, we, we, we have a lot of stuff. Um, this team, you know, lock in, switch everything. You know, it's kind of just make a play for, make a play for your team. And how much gravity can you, can you join? So, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.